0: Welcome to For the Lord, there's Roger coming to you on Wednesday, the 5th of October. Actually, it's my daughter's
1: birthday today. We have Vince back. Dude, welcome Yay. back to the show. You know, I go away for a couple of weeks and you replace me with girls. Yes. I'm not sure what that says, but it says something. Oh, it says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we, I I, I,
0: I, I thought I was
2: none
1: right too here. subtle about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it is good to have you back, buddy. So how was the uh, the big move?
2: Oh
1: well, the drive was an adventure. But, well, of course uh, you traveled all in with Oh uh, no, a, a, pretty good. You traveled with Settled a companion. In pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good old Martin was my uh Your driving companion. my co-pilot. <laughs> That's like a
0: cuter version of Wilson is what that was.
1: <laughs> I I've come to discover Martin is more popular than I am.
0: It would appear so. Yes. When I saw the Twitter account I went, "Oh for
1: fuck's sake. <laughs> you two were made for each other." <laughs> We met her sister last week for lunch. And she's like, oh, OK, yeah. And Ellie's just like, Martin's coming. She's like, oh, great. Oh, for free. Really?
0: <laughs> Vince, too. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All that motherfucker does is eat my food. <laughs> OK. Uh, you have been actually playing a lot of Star Wars lately. You Both you and Ellie actually have been paying, playing a lot of Star Wars. Where are you at in the the
1: game right now? So I finally finished my first actual character storyline with the Inquisitor. Um, I thought just finished today. that one. No, I, I'd gotten pretty far into it like years ago and then never gone back to it. And then that was the first storyline I, I really started diving into when I started playing again recently. <laughs> and you remembered what you'd played years ago?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've already established today with Joe, I probably would not. <laughs>
2: yeah that was, uh, that was entertaining but i mean in, in in vince's defense he probably murdered everything he came across because it's a safe that he does it in every game he plays it's a sith inquisitor I have a lot to say about that but just just to frame things i
1: finished up the hut cartel today oh nice and did all of the prelude to shadow of revan so i'm right at the actual start proper of shadow of revan and
0: even just if you felt as as i did and if you were kind of working your way through the campaign, I'm guessing you kind of got attached to the character and the storyline and whatever, and then the companions. By the time I'd gotten through Hut Cartel and even just the beginning of the uh, Revan stuff, I was like
1: blown away, could not wait to get, really dive into the Revan mm-hmm. stuff. So, what characters have you gotten through that stretch?
0: Sorry, explain what you mean. Which ones have I finished the campaigns or which ones have I gotten into the Shadow of Revan?
1: At least up to Shadow of Revan, yeah.
0: I've finished off uh, four or five campaigns entirely.
1: Because okay. I, I don't know if this is an Inquisitor thing or not, because I know the content for Hut Cartel and Shadow of Revan is the same across all classes, but it's really told as act or chapters four and five of your personal story. So I don't know, like, it might just be because I was the Inquisitor and happened to be dealing with the Dark Council stuff that stems out of the Inquisitor storyline. But even though it was shared content between the classes, it still felt written very well. And personally, at least for my Inquisitor, is that the same for other classes? Or kind of, yeah. Or is yeah. it just an Inquisitor, like you you happen to be at a good stepping stone for that storyline?
0: It's almost as if I, I didn't go through... Um Revan with all of those classes I finished the campaigns mm-hmm. and I went through the Revan stuff on a couple but it felt very much as if it's not like you're playing anything different in terms of the content that you're going to play so much right. as the lines that are delivered to you are tailored for whatever it is your class is, which then makes it feel as if it's far more personal for you.
1: I mean, that's great on Bioware because, you know, first of all, you're saving money on creating content. But if you can still do it right, that it feels like it fits for all the classes. That's that's really good writing all around. Yeah.
0: You must have found that it was a lot easier this time around in terms of leveling as well. Not just because oh, it's absolutely. faster, but because of the fact that the planets are going to
1: fluctuate in levels based on whatever your level is. Mm-hmm. And I had the, the XP boosts. I didn't use the heirloom gear yet because I just earned it on this character. But I'll be using that on future characters too. Oh, that's a new character then. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because you can only do the get the heirloom stuff with the characters created during the, the Dark versus Light event. So yeah. that that makes a huge. I was actually I was uh, talking to Ali a couple of days ago uh, in our Discord channel and saying like, if you haven't done anything for the Dark versus Light, at least try to get through that first tier so you can get two of the pieces mm-hmm. because I, what is that, fifteen or twenty five percent right there.
1: Uh, I believe it's twenty five percent, but it's, it's actually enough. the second tier. You have to get to level fifty. Yeah, but it's the first tier of the the dark versus light, is it not? No, I thought it's the second. The first tier is just get to level twenty five, and they give you a couple of the crates.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, once you start. Racking up those pieces, holy fuck! Does it ever go nice and fast when you are leveling? Like I've got I mean, the even twenty
1: five percent with the XP boost. yes
0: that should be plenty yeah. to get you there. I've been doing I, again. I I got to the second last tier because the the last one is ridiculous. What you have to do. Yeah. So I like, said, I'll, no.
1: I'll probably get the third tier, and that's probably as far as I'll get realistically. Well, I wanted the second last so that I can get that companion. That's mm-hmm. that's where you get that. So once I got that,
0: I was like, okay, good enough. And realistically speaking, as long as you're not playing a ton of other games, it's actually not that hard. You could still do it before it ends, quite likely. They haven't said when it's going to end, but rumor is you still got October. So, mm-hmm. but no, it makes a huge difference. I'm already, like, I'm I'm still kind of dinking around on my older characters that I had on that realm that I had not leveled up yet, that now I'm just sending the gear to them and leveling them up instead. Because, again, that attachment to those characters.
1: Right. So. And I've discovered something very interesting. I'm not the mass murdering person that I've set myself <laughs> up to be.
0: Allie has softened
1: you. Wait, no, 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 what? No, no, all <laughs> no. no, oh, bullshit. When I first started playing the Inquisitor, it was all dark side, dark side, dark side, kill everything, kill everything. But I, as I got more attached to the character and like kind of forming the role playing version of the character in my head. It started softening because, at least on the Inquisitor, the dark side options are very mentally unstable, literally kill everything. Whereas I was going with more of the, you know, being smart and, you know, building a power base. Don't kill everybody. You know, some of those things are useful. But So, like, just deciding to only kill half the people in the Inquisitor storyline, sometimes that's a light side option. It is. (laughs) But what really started changing things for me was uh, when I got into the higher tier conversations with, what's her name, The Apprentice. I keep calling her Ahsoka, but that's the one from yeah.
2: Star Wars. <laughs> of I mean, from what I
1: understand, it's close enough. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, her. <laughs> I think they even have like the same initials too. <laughs> and she starts asking me, you know, why I'm doing these things. And I, I it's sort of like, okay, you know, the character came from being literally a slave and is now rising to the highest ranks of the Sith. You know, what am I going to do with this power? Am I just going to keep building it up and fall into the same holes that those before me, you know, Zash and Thanaton have done, or am I going to try and do things differently? And like, it just really changed my perception of the character and how the choices I made as I went along, like I'm pretty gray since around level 30 or 40. Like, I'm still, I think, dark too, but a lot of my dark side choices are balanced out by light side choices now. Like It's it's actually very interesting to me. What
0: I discovered is that I play the, the game a lot differently now in terms of which choices that I make as well. And the reason for that for me is because I played enough of it over the years that I know that... The dark and light side, maxing them out or whatever, does fuck all.
2: Yeah, it's a like
0: it's. Not only is it a chore, there's nothing – like when you're looking at the benefits of things that you can buy if you're all the way light or all the way dark, it's useless shit that you're never going to use.
1: Especially now that you can just buy cosmetic stuff off the cartel shop. Like the the actual in-game ones that have alignment restrictions are –
0: Pointless. Yeah. So what I started doing, with the exception specifically of a couple of the characters for this event, where I wanted to boost the light side as much as I could because I want the fucking light side companion <laughs> for the event. Um, and apparently most people do. For With the exception of that now, when I'm playing, I am choice by choice deciding what it is that I'm going to do and not, okay, it's definitely light or it's definitely dark because you have so much more fun and the story is so much more dynamic when it fluctuates based on what you think is right as you would in reality. And I find that that really opens up a lot of paths that otherwise you wouldn't have. Case in point, when I finished off my trooper, I had been playing him actually as dark because at the time I was thinking I might try for the legendary tier, which you have to have a dark five as well. So I was choosing everything dark. And the trooper storyline was written for you to play as a light side character. It's plainly obvious when you're playing it. And the choices that are dark have no consequences. They're scoffed off. It's really there's a couple of things where there's consequence. But for the most part, not at all. And, it, and it's frustrating, whereas had I played it where it was, like you said, more gray, there's a lot of choices that came up. I was thinking, oh, fuck, I would love to see what's going to happen there, but I have to choose this dark option, and it, it just doesn't work. It's way, way, way better in this game nowadays. Just choose the option that feels right in that moment.
1: And again, I feel that's something they've done a much better job on in the expansions, and I would assume on Into Fallen Empire. Oh, Uh, dude. Wait. Like, Not just like, oh, having those moral hard points of, you know, should I save this person or should I kill them, but exactly where they do draw the line between a light and a dark side choice. Like, sometimes you won't know. Like, the three options presented to you, you're like, any of these are viable. And I I purposefully have the the little icon turned off so I won't know ahead of time which one gives me the points or whatnot. So, like, it's been very interesting to see, like, Choices that I thought would be, like, neutral at best have been, like, plus 250 light side. I'm like, what the hell? Wait till but like, you I'm, get I'm not into- upset about it because I don't care about it from a mechanical standpoint. I'm more interested in it from a character standpoint. Exactly, yeah.
0: And wait until you do get into the—not the Revan stuff, although the Revan stuff, too, obviously. Like, I I—again, I was very— enthusiastic about it when we talked about it on the podcast and I feel that's justified. I still feel it's justified and I'm I'm really curious what you're going to think when you play through it. But that said, as enthusiastic as I was about it, it pales in comparison to Knights of the Fallen Empire. And... No shit, I've been dying to talk about this with someone <laughs> on this fucking podcast now since I've played through it. So I'm really looking forward to, for, to you going through it so that we can shoot the breeze about it. Because, like I said before, I think it is the best questing in the game, bar none, which says a hell of a lot.
2: Just let me know when y'all are going to do that so I can take a vacation day. Cause...
0: Screw you, it so, was so awesome. So you're not
2: spoiled for the game you're never going to play? Yeah, really? No, just because, I mean, y'all going to keep, t- like, it's going to be like when I talk about, like, wow, Vince takes a vacation. <laughs>
0: All right, let's move on, though. We got finally some pretty in-depth reviews of PSVR because the embargo lifted today. So we're finally getting reviews on it. We've gotten a ton of news about the demos and the, the the various games that are going to be coming out and things like that at the Tokyo Game Show, and more people tried it, got their hands on it and whatnot. But now these, we're getting the reviewers and the sites which have them in their homes or their studios, not just set up at a con, and it makes a big difference. So for the most part, it's been mainly positive about it, the one negative thing that's been coming up a lot has been that the tracking is not the best people have gotten spoiled by the Rift and the Vive, which are using like IR and laser tracking versus the light tracking from the old move controllers with the PSVR. So that's one of the things that unfortunately can cause motion sickness as well. If, your character's moving, and in your head, it's not tracking properly. It's not as bad with the hands, but with the head, apparently, it is. So that's something that I'll be checking out, because mine should be arriving, hopefully, next week, and then I'll be able to
2: give it a shot. Isn't there also, like, a Bluetooth parody between the Move controllers and in the in the PlayStation? Uh, No.
0: No, well, the okay. gyroscope,
2: but that's it. It's It relies almost entirely on the, the light. I wa- I'm wondering if, at some point, we're not going to see a... Uh, an updated version of the Move controllers that take uh, sort of advantage of Bluetooth 2.1, uh, which I know in right, this will tie into the next thing that's on our list here, um, but a lot of the other VR experiences are using uh, Bluetooth 2.1 instead of laser tracking or uh, light tracking such as like the uh, Samsung uh, VR experience, which I've been playing around with a little bit. Uh, thanks to work, yay. Uh, it's really interesting because it feels incredibly responsive uh, when you have things in your hands. It, it, I can't, I've never played with like the Vive or, or, or the Oculus firsthand, like really, really played with them, but it feels almost like the responsiveness is similar to what I see when I watch other playthroughs or other videos of it. Right. Um, so I'm wondering if we're not going to see at some point PlayStation release updated move controllers that take advantage of that uh, in conjunction with the light placement in order to uh, have a better experience.
0: I'm thinking, obviously, good idea, but I'm thinking we probably won't see that until the PSVR 2. I can't imagine that mid-production or mid-release of the, the
2: one that we'll see that that big of change. You know, my argument with that, though, is with the way that they're going with the new model of consoles, and we, we've talked about this extensively at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens. You're uh, you're right on that. You are right on that. The same way the the watches and stuff for the phones and and things update frequently before phones do. Yes and no. The only
0: thing that I would say about that is because of how much of the the PSVR itself, let alone the, the move, is all based on tracking through the light sources on it. So I think that that's a fairly substantial change. That I think is a good idea. I can see it happening, but I don't see it happening with this one. I would like to see it, so I'm hoping you're right because I would, I would obviously fuck, I would buy those. But that still would not resolve the issue with the tracking for the
2: headpiece, the the actual VR component. It, it actually it could though, and that's the thing, right? Um, depending no, on what, there's no Bluetooth in the, the the PSVR though yet, what if they made something that just clips on over it that then replaces that or, or takes care of that? And the reason I say that is because that's something that the, uh, the Google Pixel is actually doing. Right. Um, I was watching a review of it when they were talking about how the Bluetooth interacts and pings. It actually uses the phone as well as the, um, the handset, the, these two little, like uh, almost like controller-looking things that are about the size of your thumb that do the same type of tracking and motion movement, too. And I could very easily say, OK, here's your upgraded move. And maybe they have a little clip that goes on over the mask or goes over the, the headset where it just like slots over. N- nothing different than maybe like those sunglasses you clip on over over regular glasses or something like that. That then you you just charge separately and just it does its thing. And it uses that same distance tracking and motion tracking uh, from all the devices, so to speak. I could see I could see something like that. Well, oh, I
0: can see going. it being done. But as to whether or not it will be, that's the big one. Regardless, let's hope that would be awesome. Yeah, oh yeah. The uh, they talked about the screen; it's not as high a resolution as has been said, but people are really impressed because it's an OLED screen, so it doesn't have the screen door effect that you get from the Rift and the Vive. So again, it's there's pros and cons. So again, I will be talking about this at length. I assure you very soon, hopefully some of the games that they were talking about, because now all of a sudden people are testing out the games and you're seeing a lot more of what's going to be coming out both at launch as well as within this, this year as well. And there's a lot of stuff that initially they were like, eh, maybe it's not going to be as awesome. But now that people have gotten to play them more. Like one of the main ones was the Batman Arkham VR. People initially were like, eh, it's not going to be a big deal. And then afterwards, every single thing that I've either watched or read about it, people are like, this is one of those that you have to buy because you are there. You are fucking Batman. And I was like, "Okay, I will buy it. You sold me. (laughs) I would like to be excited about the Drive Club one. But Drive Club, they fucked people over so bad that
1: brand is just. That's the thing. Done. If it
0: if it wasn't for that, I'd be like, that's awesome. Because I obviously racing, I would love a good racing VR game. But Drive Club, fuck those guys. I uh, yeah. the two Eve games, Gunjack and Valkyrie, that's pretty much must buy. Really looking forward to those. I'm even looking forward to the Harmonix uh, music VR game because those are fun to play as well too. There's a couple of really good horror games like the Here We Lie. That is fucked up that I cannot wait to play <laughs> that. And like the weeping doll one. Oh dude, <laughs> I'm even looking forward to the hustle Kings one. I want to see just how close to any sort of reality it is. Cause I love playing pool. Um, Rise of the tomb Raider. I don't have, I don't have that game yet. And because of how much I like the last one i've been Is dying it to play Is it's even actually some...
1: out on playstation yet
0: it's going to be if it's not out yet it will be soon and then there's the vr com- the vr component as well it's
2: it's this month i think it's like the second it's or of, the week of this month yeah
0: yeah because they got a promotion going on if you order it within one week of release i think something like that you get a crap load of the yep. in-game currency that you can use to buy stuff so that's pretty fucking awesome i'm even looking forward to the, the less realistic games, like the uh, Thumper game, there's uh, the Golem game looks awesome. The Star Trek Bridge Crew. There's a, there's a couple of the flying ones. The Eagle Flight is the, the the PvP one. And then there's How We Soar, which looks really fucking cool as well. And then some games that I hadn't even heard of, like this uh, the Assembly, which is kind of this weird conspiracy game. Like there's so many now that all of a sudden it's coming out more and we're finding out, yeah, this is like right around the corner. So some cool stuff. And then you were talking about the Google. Well, I'm starting to sound like my old man. The Google. <laughs> the Google. <laughs> the, you uh, know what?
2: At, at this point, I think it's earned the the title at this point. Well,
0: I was going to say the Google presentation <laughs> and then I stopped talking. So but we'll be
1: referring to it in a few years when it's the overlord. <laughs> hey, I'd rather be back in freaking Google than Apple. Ugh. <laughs> for, for so yeah, um, uh, uh.
0: but they—I mean, if you didn't see the the presentation, you might think, ah, it's not a big deal. They were just talking about the phone and the VR and the the AI. But if you actually watched it, it's pretty fucking cool when you. Again, when you extrapolate what that means, what that tech means for gaming moving forward, and it it was very brilliantly done at the beginning, wherein the, I can't remember the name of the dude who started the presentation, but he was talking about just that, talking about where computing was in the 80s and then how the internet changed things, how smartphone changed things, and extrapolating from there, and then talking about their AI, which is fucking impressive, let's be honest, and then talking about their phone, the Pixel, which again, normally we wouldn't talk about phones unless it was like the iPhone thing or the iPad where you're talking about it in terms of gaming. But here it is very much the impact that it has on VR and because older VR, older Android phones that you use for VR were not quite as powerful, it wasn't. It wasn't deemed to be as quote-unquote respectable a VR kind of thing, not a full-blown. It's just one of those, yeah, yeah, you put it in freaking cardboard. Whereas it's getting to a point when you're looking at the strength of those phones now and what they're doing with the VR headsets, which is freaking impressive, that last one, what they're doing now, that the games and the experiences that are coming out for VR on those phones, fucking amazing, amazing. Like that stupid Harry Potter Fantastic Creatures thing or beasts or whatever the fuck it's called. I don't want to be a wizard, but it looked awesome. (laughs) And I want to play the shit out of that game. (laughs) When they're talking about doing a variety of different, again, quote unquote, experiences because of how powerful those goddamn phones have gotten now, especially this pixel, like. Jesus, if I had the money, if I, I, Joe and I were talking about it, like, sadly, sadly,
2: my phone is in perfect shape. <laughs> so I don't have an excuse to update and, it. But, and even me, like, I can't justify spending $700 on a new phone. Like, even though I, well, I I'd watch, be doing the I plan very badly. I just can't justify it. Yeah. To for, myself.
0: for me, it would be one of those, the plan ones. So then it's just fine. I'll just switch over to that plan instead. It's just this phone is paid for. It's an iPhone 5, and it's literally because it sits just on my desk for work. It's in perfect shape. So it's like, fuck. <laughs> I feel like I should drop it somewhere. Loan it to one of my kids. They drop their phones all the fucking time.
1: <laughs> well, as luck would have it, I'm in the market for a new phone and a new
2: service provider in the near future. Check I've, out the
1: Pixel, dude. It
2: looks awesome. Yeah. Well, you know what? One of the things that I really love about it, too, is the um, the deliberate design choices that they're making, uh, not just for the phone, but for the companion devices, in particular Daydream, which is their headset. Uh, and it's specifically called Daydream because, well, quote, unquote, it is a dream to use. Uh, it's made out of soft materials and light materials as opposed to sort of the, the heavy, hard materials that we see from like the Oculus, the Vive, uh, even the PlayStation VR and even Samsung's VR experience that they just released. Um, and that thing is freaking heavy. Let me tell you, uh, the what I'm seeing here. Which is one? That, which
0: one? The, the Gear VR? Is that like what your you VR is
2: fucking heavy. Oh yeah, okay. Even without a phone in it, it, it is it is heavy. And after um, half an hour or less, your neck hurts. Your head and neck. Oh hurts really? With the, yeah. And, and it's it's a shame. If only you could prop it up on a small little tripod. Let's say. Shut the. <laughs> You're within driving distance now, son. You better watch yourself. Listen, if you want to drive five hours to punch me in the face, you can do it. <laughs> Well, I mean, five
1: hours of that tartan. And OK, I'll moving on,
0: moving thing. on. Anyway,
1: but so make sure there's seems- a maid outfit waiting. for you.
0: <laughs> Actually, answer the door. Answer the door in the maid outfit. That'll turn him away right there.
2: <laughs> you don't know my life. <laughs> Back on topic. Uh, I've been seeing people that have actually gotten uh, advanced copies of it, because if you went to the event, you had a chance to purchase one right then and there. Uh, First of all, it comes in cheaper than the Gear VR. It comes in at $79 instead of $99 American USD. Uh, And they were saying that the experience is so much less stressful and straining on your body that it's almost, not not that you're not wearing anything at all, but it feels very natural. It feels like more close to wearing goggles while working on a machine as opposed to... Please place in that Flanders clip there. <laughs> Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all.
1: Does
0: the uh, the Gear VR have the same sensors on it to not just immediately go into VR once it's clipped in, but also to calibrate it so that it's
2: perfectly yes. horizontal?
0: Yep.
2: Okay, because, yeah, that's one of the things that they were talking about with this uh, this other one. Yeah, the other thing that I think is important about the design choices here too, which is something that a lot of the other headsets don't do, is apparently it's very accommodating because of the soft material of people with glasses. Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of a huge thing because a lot of a lot of people wear glasses for daily use. And if they can't wear them, it ruins a VR experience because they can't fucking see it.
0: That's actually one of the things that they really worked hard on with the PSVR because I was actually watching well a number of videos today but I was watching one today with um, the tested guys and they were showing how it kind of pulls not just at the back to size it on your head but the actual VR piece in front can clip and slide forward and back on your face so that it can adjust around your glasses and the guy was saying that it's actually the best one that he finds for glasses so that's that's good. I I don't wear glasses, so it's not as important
2: to me, but I can certainly appreciate it for others. But it is in our household, and that's an important selling point here for anything VR-related.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's move on from there. Let's talk about some card games. Why the fuck not?
1: <laughs> because there was a Eventually, couple... this is just going to be the entire show, isn't it? Like I have week, thought, thought about starting
0: a new one just for that. <laughs> not doing comics anymore? Fuck it, I'll start a podcast on card games. But... The
2: one of the games that I've been Call following, Dealer's Choice.
0: Oh, you are so corny
2: <laughs> and incredibly creepy. What was with that? Yeah, voice? really? Yeah, <laughs> the I'm sorry, it's Roger's so fault. He got me started with the maid outfit again.
0: Moving on, I had been following this attack on Titan uh, deck building game for a little while because it's Cryptozoic, who of course does hex and they do tons of card stuff as well too. There's a couple of projects they're working on that I am really looking forward to. But this one looks awesome. And I mean, it, it's actually, it's coming out soon, November 9th. And it's it's a co-op deck building game and it uses the Cerberus engine. So the, the same as they use for their DC games. And if you haven't watched Attack on Titan, it's an anime. And basically there are large Creatures, titans, and naked people, and without junk. <laughs> and basically, they just eat. Rogers some, checked. I. How can you not? <laughs> Jesus, if there was junk the size that they are, they could just swing that shit around to knock people out. Forget about chewing them up. But just that, they actually chew I think people. There's a different
1: eat. version of the anime that does that. There probably is. There's
0: fanfic. Let's be honest. <laughs> and then they have these a whack on titan these troops of people who go out and try to take down the Titans. so your job is being one of those heroes to take down the titans and the game is set up a little bit differently in terms of there's walls there's different districts and you have to get cards from them and the districts have walls protecting them from the titans that are trying to breach through all in all when you look at the rules for the game and and how it's to be played and whatnot, it's fairly imaginative while still kind of relying on mechanics that are fairly well known. It looks awesome. I am like, if if I can find a reseller in Canada for this, because I don't want to pay the fucking customs charge for it to come across. I would
1: love to pick this shit up. It sounds like a ton of fun. It's very unique. It, yeah. <laughs> And what I'm finding interesting is Cryptozoic still knows how to make games that require physical cards. So yeah. they can't go quite as crazy with their rules as with Hex, but they could still make something very different and very its own thing that works. What I like I mean, about it is that
0: as I was reading the instructions and whatnot, of course, I'm thinking in terms of my family and playing with them. And like you guys have an advantage we in, especially Joe, you know a lot more folks that are gamers like yourself and tabletop gamers and things like that. Whereas us, our tabletop gaming is mainly traditional games or we play a lot of Mahjong things like that or cards. So this is kind of like going up really out of the fold for us, and especially Attack on Titan. I mean, my son wouldn't know it, but the other kids certainly wouldn't, and my wife sure shit wouldn't. So I'm thinking of it in terms of, okay, can they still enjoy it? And from what I've read, at least, it certainly looks like they could. And then for, say, my son and I, we will really fucking love it because it just looks like it will hit on each of those notes of things that
2: will be a tie to the the anime that we would enjoy. See, one of the things I like about Cryptozoic when they make card games is they make them accessible. And that's, that's one of the important things. Like, Their rules can be fun. There can be a lot of immersion. There can be a lot of, of fun little things. But I have not seen them make a bad game, yeah. at least not one that I've played. And so much so that, and I know this for a fact, back in the days when there was the the WoW TCG, Uh, You had Wizards of the Coast employees that flocked to that to that game because they weren't allowed to play Magic the Gathering in their own tournaments. So they went and played that because it was one of the best rules on the market and everything else. I have nothing but faith in Cryptozoic and whatever they produce, that it's going to be well thought out, well vetted and is going to be phenomenal. And the other thing that I like about this is because even though I do have a tabletop group, we do have... Um, some of the members will bring their wives, their girlfriends, their husbands, or sometimes their kids on our weekly gaming sessions, and they don't play these types of games where they don't know the IPs. And one of the things that's important to us is if the IP looks like something that could be fun and doesn't just play nothing but fan service, actually has fun mechanics and things that will bring somebody into the the actual action of the game, that's important. And that's what I'm seeing here is that From everything I'm seeing, from everything I'm reading, it's going to be the game itself that's going to be the most engaging part. So you could have no fucking clue what the hell a Titan is and still love the game. And I think that's going to be important.
0: Yeah. And then another one that we found out about last week was this Final Fantasy TCG. Shout out to freaking Sushi for linking that in uh, in Twitter initially. Was that last week or the week before? I can't remember now.
2: Uh, Last week. I think think. it was last week. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Thank you, better Vince.
0: Did you look into it as much as I did? Cause, <laughs> as soon as she... My ears perked up.
1: <laughs> and I was it, like, it just cards? to be like I was sitting down and she's like, she was talking about it. And I was like, huh. And I looked into it and I was like, oh, hey. Like It was actually just that day they had uh, put out the press release for the North American yeah. version because the news she was getting was through the European distributor. But it's a very cool Fucking little card right, game. Yes. Like <laughs> It's been out for like six years in Japan. So it's got... I think they said somewhere in the vicinity of 2,000 cards in its in its set. I mean, we're not getting all of them immediately. They're releasing them in what they are calling a, an opus. I guess that's going to be you know their sets or what have you of the. I'm I, pretty sure they're going to be doing the traditional starters and booster uh, yeah. model. But the rules are recognizable as like something that's based on Magic but still unique enough to make it its own thing. And of course, it has that Final Fantasy flair. As they said, there's only three types of cards in the game. Your backups, your forwards, and your summons. Uh, Your backups are what they call your support troops. And if you look at the graphics on most of the cards, they're, you know, white mages, red mages, characters that are traditionally support characters in the Final Fantasy games. And these have, you know, small little basic abilities, but their main role is to generate your crystal points, you know, their version of mana. So they're your resource generators. They're actually supporting the front lines of your group. So the front lines, you have the forwards, your traditional damage dealers. They can attack, they can defend, and everything we've come to expect from an actual creature card in a magic-type game. And then you have your summons, which are kind of like your spells, big, powerful one-shot abilities that cost a good deal of mana. So again, it's something that we can visualize an analog to in other card games we've played, while still being a very Final Fantasy thing. The actual rule set is very simple, but again, it's just unique enough to be interesting. To generate your CP, your your crystal points, your mana, as I said, you can tap your support characters in order to generate a point that way, but you have to get those support characters into the field in the first place. So the more primary way of generating mana is to discard out of your hand which generates twice as much and near as I could tell, there is no limit on how much you could discard. So if you wanted to throw away half your hand to get out one really powerful card, that's an option as far as what I could see. Uh, They've only released one small starter tutorial video. Apparently there's going to be more rules videos coming that I'm looking forward to. And then the damage mechanic when you you take direct damage to the player character, there's no life counter or whatnot. You straight up take a card off the top of your deck (laughs) and that's your damage counter. So it takes the, the, the concept of, oh, I just got hit. I'm taking damage. I'm losing the game compared with this is the card you would have drawn on your next turn. <laughs> well, it's, not just that. It's, it's there's awesome. There's no... Um... There's no
0: mitigation of yeah. the damage in terms of, okay, well, I'll take it, but at least it's only, like, one or two points. Although, in this game, it's astronomical amounts of
1: damage. Yeah, just you, you only leave. have seven life. Yeah. So.
0: But it's, yeah, exactly. So, it's more about how many lives you have than the what the actual damage is. Like, when you you initially were saying, like, it's uh, you got your Magic the Gathering type of gameplay, however... As I was watching the gameplay of it and, and the rule sets and whatnot, I was th- I wasn't thinking Magic at all. Like it is substantially different from well, Magic I'm just in terms of
1: to to compare, to compare it, it to Magic yeah. as as a baseline that everybody knows.
0: Yeah, but that's what I mean. Uh, it's I don't even uh, think it, it's it's a baseline, and I like that. I like that it is really going to require a different way of thinking the moment Mm -hmm. you have to decide am i discarding this card that i know would come in handy in two turns so that i can bring out this other card or am i going to try to play it safe for two turns so that i can bring this one out versus discarding it for the, the crystal points so like there's a really big difference there and again going back to what i was saying about your life whereas in be it magic or in Hex or things like that, you decide, okay, am I going to swallow this damage, but still uh, at least I'll have my my creature. I'm not going to sacrifice this creature that I'm going to use next turn to do damage to them. No, here you're like, I can't afford one more life loss, so now I'm going to lose this creature or whatever. So you're really playing the game differently.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me very much of two games from I wanna, like the early 90s Uh, The original Star Wars game, which had the similar concept of uh, your cards were either used as mana or they were used as something you played, um, which was a very difficult concept back then and led to people even like 100 card decks uh, because there was no limit on them and rage, which was the old uh, white wolf werewolf game, because when you took damage, it was all about decking your opponent It was all about discarding their entire deck Um, I think that's cool because those mechanics died in like 93 and I have not seen them in another TCG of any type. So this that alone, like the stuff you mentioned, has actually piqued my interest in this game like that right there. Yeah, it's
1: it's really worthy of praise for an incredible balance between simplicity and strategy. I explained the entire game in a couple of minutes. Like, that's all there is to the rules of the game. Then it just becomes down to individual card effects. But anybody can learn how to play this game in a matter of minutes. But you can tell that every turn you're making important decisions. And that's That's something you don't see. Like, uh, I'll I'll call out Hearthstone. Hearthstone has a great deal of simplicity. I feel it lacks in the strategy department. Whereas a game like Magic is very strategy-heavy, but the more heavy you get into the strategy, you lose a lot of the simplicity of the game. But this is straddling that line brilliantly in my eyes.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it. Really looking forward to playing it.
1: And then another one, I, I'm surprised that
0: I hadn't even heard of this one, is this Shardbound game. And When I
1: was watching this, I was like, is this one of the 50 games Roger has talked about in
0: the last episode? I actually had not heard it. And you would think that, again, it's a fucking tactics and card game, like Duelist But much better. And I love the shit out of lists. So you would think that I'd heard of this, hadn't even heard about it. I watched that hour-long video and was like, I need to contact these people. (laughs) And see if they will send us this game so that we can all play. Because I need this in my life now.
1: Yeah, this was shown off uh, at TwitchCon. And it has the big buzzword for the industry right now of Twitch integration. Although the way they're doing that Twitch integration is actually pretty cool. If you're a streamer and you start up the game, you basically raise a banner. And then your viewers and followers can go play under your banner. And as you're playing in real time, you're getting pop-ups and information of how good your army is doing in the game. So it's not one of those actually interacting with the stream itself type games, which are cool, but I don't know if they have a whole lot of longevity. This is just a straight up awesome strategy card game that also doubles as a great community management tool. The game itself is a deck building strategy game. You choose choose your deck and what cards you have in your hand are what monsters and creatures and abilities you're able to play on the field. But it plays out as an isometric strategy game of actually having to cross the battlefield and maneuver your hero and take out the other hero. So you have the card building and the, the luck drawing aspect, but you still have to know what the heck you're doing in the game. Like, I love that first game where he's like, oh, yeah, I got this. And all of a sudden he died. Like, that's it, you're done, because the other guy just outfought him. And then in later games, he was playing very different tactically, And it was working out for him. Like, the cards are only going to get you so far. You have to know how, when, and where to play them because there's a lot of restrictions. You can summon some on your side of the field, some on the other side of the field. There's actual terrain that'll block line of sight for certain abilities. And actually having to, you know, have a path available for your army to get to the other side or having that line up for a ranged attack. There is so much awesome strategy in here. (laughs) And then you put in the deck building uh, assets and, yeah, all right, great.
0: (laughs) See, one of the things that I really liked about Duelist was just that, that it is that nice blend of a TCG and and chess. Essentially, again, you're on a board. The only downside to it is that it is very much the same board all the time. So you kind of get a feel well, for I mean, they, what works they say this
1: is. It's early alpha. This, like, this is this the this only is pre-alpha. No, 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 no,
0: no. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm talking about duelist. I'm not talking about Charbrow. Oh, sorry, sorry. Duelist is pretty much the same. You're looking at. There's not huge changes, and it's a, a flat terrain kind of thing. Whereas this one here, immediately, I'm seeing the the well again for this one here because it was pre-alpha. There, it's it was the same one all the time. But even just that one you can see how the terrain has an impact and then you can't just factor you can't just think oh the terrain's going to have an impact no 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 it's terrain and the cards because some cards you they need to be by a boulder he was saying or something like that or or different things like that so it really adds to the complexity and then the moment he said you can design your own that's when my ears perked up because that's when i started thinking i want to build a massive, and I hope they'll give us that ability, a massive fucking battleground with lots of different things and then have these epic goddamn battles with like either of you guys or whatever on these big battlefields where you really have to think strategically and, and things like that and have an idea of the terrain. And it it kind of, at that point starts to feel a little bit like a StarCraft or a mm-hmm. a Warcraft kind of game, early stuff, but in a way that still is far more, again, because of the tactics and the cards, far more engaging, at least for someone like myself who enjoys those a lot more.
1: Yeah, I like how they said for competitive play, there's going to be you know, a number of pre-made maps that are going to be in a rotation that are always going to be the same, but for casual play or, you know, just random online matchups, it's, it's going to be the wild west. You don't know what map you're going to be getting. So you can't build a deck specifically for one type of map. Exactly. You're going to be screwed. And I also loved when he asked, well, what's to prevent me from just summoning a bunch of creatures and turtling. It's like, well, once you run out of cards, then lava starts filling up your side of the board. (laughs) Like awesome. Well, not just that, but they were saying,
0: too, which is immediately what I thought. So you've got ranged attackers. You've got different things like that. Like, turtling may work in some circumstances, but I'm thinking more often than not, it won't. It's going to fuck you over. And it's just going to mean that people are going to be making sure that there's specific cards that they're putting in each of their decks, whether it's killing creatures, which he had a few of those you saw, or the ranged attacks or different things like that. So... If our guesses of what it's going to become based on what little we have seen is true, this is going to be, for me, second to Hex and and that's it. And considering I play several TCGs, like, that's saying a lot. I really, really am looking forward to seeing more from this game.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely going to be its own thing. It's not going to yeah. replace Hex because they're so vastly yeah, different. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah.
0: Like, again, Duelist is a ton of fun. It's just I reached a point. I haven't played it that much in the last couple of weeks because I reached a point where the fact that it was the same um, the same landscape, the same board, essentially, mm-hmm. pretty much all the time, kind of took some of the fun out of it. I still enjoy it. I still enjoy playing it. It's just it's not as pressing of, oh, I can't wait to get in and see what's going to happen kind of thing. Nah, it's pretty much the same. So there is there is that. So, again, when I saw this, plus, dude, I love the fucking art style. <laughs> Like it's not even done, and I'm like going, oh, "That is gorgeous! <laughs> I want to play that in VR."
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, let's move on, Joe. What did you think of the uh, Court of the Dead, Under Undead, uh, Underworld Rising?
2: Yeah, so it's a game of many titles, that's for damn sure. Uh, Court of the Dead, Underworld Rising, Fight for Your Afterlife. Like, how many subtitles do you need? Jesus. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting concept. It's a similar art style and, and sort of almost 2.5D, kind of like Darkest Dungeon. Yeah. Uh, but it's like an MMORPG, ARPG situation. I don't even know what the hell to fucking call it. Um but it's it's cool in an, the aspect of what they're presenting here. So players get to ch- create a character and pledge loyalty after they die to one of three factions. Those three factions give way to a plethora of character customization, uh, which is from what I've seen from, I don't know, 10 or 15 people that have have written about it so far, at least what they've seen so far, is you can spend as much time doing your character creation here as you did with, like, The Secret World, which is pretty impressive does, for such yeah. a, a small thing. Uh, the It's very side-scrolly in the way you move through it, and combat almost looks very similar to the game we were just talking about, um, where there's, like, a grid with your party and, and, and everything else, where it's uh, Might and Magic-esque, that isometric grid yeah. sort of warfare. But not only is it an RPG where you get to make choices, find gear, level up, defeat monsters, but there are going to be multiplayer aspects to it. Um, There's going to be interactions with other players. You're going to be able to party up or destroy each other, whatever the case is, depending on your factions or where you are in the world or what you choose to do, which is interesting because it seems like they're cramming a lot of shit into, like, one small area. Um... It's also turn based combat, which is interesting for what they're doing here. So it, it, they're really leaning heavily on the RPG aspect. But I think it has some potential. Uh, it, it has some interest, depending on what they do with storytelling, depending on what they do with individual character development, it has some interesting potential. And we could see something fun come out of it, but there's not a whole, whole lot of it right now.
0: We I like see the some theme. basic.
2: I, I I really
0: like the theme of, of the yeah. game and the the different things with the the different factions underneath and and things like that. I I'm really digging that a lot actually.
2: And I like the art style too. Yeah, I like that. I really do. I think the Darkest Dungeon, but like this is actually brighter than that, which is interesting for a game about the dead. Uh, but they're doing a good job of like m- making it visually interesting without overstimulating, which I think is is good.
0: And then speaking of Darkest Dungeon, there was an update. It, has the update come out yet or it's coming out, Vince?
2: No, no, no. The, well, it
1: just finally released on PS4 and Vita yes. last week, two weeks ago. The last so week, I think. Now the game is done. <laughs> they, they have met all of their qualifications for, you know, Darkest Dungeon actually being complete and released. But they're not sitting around waiting because they announced the first DLC to come out early next year. Okay, that's what it is. Uh, we know very little about it other than it's called the Crimson Court. It has some awesomely terrifying artwork. And then the tagline that goes along with it, the blood. I must have the blood.
2: <laughs> so vampires!
1: Clearly we're going with vampires here. They they said it's uh, the only detail we have about the game itself is it's also going to include a new playable class but i can't wait to find out what weird old grandpa was getting up to with
2: vampires on top of his (laughs) weird lovecraftian shit i i appreciate that the vampires have like the big white powder wigs and you know on top of like oh we are we are aristocrats and yeah never mind the fact that our mouths are exposed and covered in blood it's fine it's no no big deal
0: i actually haven't played it in a while are you guys still playing it
1: I haven't gone back to it in a while either. And yeah, I, I, I at this point, I need to start a new game because I've forgotten yeah. so much I can't dive back in at the higher difficulty. So I, I kind of just want to start fresh at some point because I haven't played since the last update even with the whole town and the new... Uh, what is it called? The Antiquarian and all that stuff. So I kind of think I'm just going to do do a fresh start in it soon.
2: Yeah, That's actually what I just did. I just started a fresh playthrough when they did the last update because I was like, you know what? I just need to... to start clean and just go in and see what I can do. I still pop into it. I absolutely love it. It's it's that roguelike itch. Most of the games I wind up playing tend to be roguelikes, and I've been in love with this thing since we first, well, when we first started talking about it, even before then.
0: Like, I if As soon as there's a, a decent sale on on it for the Vita, I would like to actually pick it up on the I, Vita. It's
1: well. actually on sale right now, but it's not a very big sale. Yeah. But uh, PS Plus members can get it for 20 instead of 25
0: Yeah, I'm going to wait till it's a little bit lower than that. Because I broke. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to play it on the Vita. It's mm-hmm. pretty much
1: made for that kind of console. Yeah. Although, sadly, I'm hearing it, they didn't uh, add in any touchscreen functionality.
0: Really? Yeah. Well, that's stupid. Oh, yeah, well. I'm uh, not terribly
2: but... surprised. It's a port.
0: Yeah. Okay. Joe, what did you think about the uh, original Sin 2 news? Because people are getting into the pre alpha now.
2: So, or is this... it oh, early access, I should say? it's early access alpha uh it is still very very limited um i think it's actually interesting because this is one that i've i've been looking forward to seeing what they do with it and there's we've talked about it before there's a lot of interesting aspects that are going to be coming to this game like the fact that you could have a party of of characters that are completely opposed in what they want to do not just you know if you're playing with other players, like, you know, if all three of us were playing. But even if you're playing single player, there's going to be a motivation for each of those characters that may not exactly align. And so that you're going to have to barter or persuade those NPCs to kind of go towards your goals, or maybe you just want to go accomplish their goals or, or whatever the case is. Uh, that also had a very interesting gameplay mechanic of splitting the party. In order to accomplish those goals, or maybe the party hasn't met yet and you're playing through the individual pieces of it. Um, The problem is that's not in the game yet. (laughs) It's one of the most hotly anticipated things, but the early access alpha does not have it. And so a lot of the reviewers are, are noting the absence of that. And some of the clarifications are, is yes, that isn't in the game yet. Uh, the multiplayer isn't in the game yet, so you can't get experience that. Um, and Act 1 is still very incomplete. Um, the initial responses are Act 1 is your, your sort of typical setup. It's character development, uh, giving you your initial motivation, introducing you to the other NPCs that you could hire on, persuade, or, or, or just basically world introduction. Um, and even after about 30 or so minutes of playing through Act 1, you get to quote unquote the end, but it's sort of an abrupt end because they haven't put the ending for act one in yet. And I kind of hope they don't, because I don't want to see how that ends until I actually get a chance to play the game. I don't want that ruined for me, Uh, but systems wise and playability wise, everybody has said the same thing. It feels polished as far as a lot of that stuff goes. If you are a fan of Baldur's gate, if you are a fan of dragon age origins, um, and you you like how sort of the combat sequences were were well done and how sort of you interacted with those scenes. It's very similar to a combination of the two. It's like the two of them had like this amazing baby and then produced the game. And I think that's really, really good because one of the the biggest problems with the original original games for like these types of dungeon crawlers was that combat was convoluted. It was difficult to figure out. And in the original game, Uh, you had a very deep combat system that still felt intuitive. They've refined that even further here from what I'm seeing. So you can still have your uh, weird interactions between spells and abilities that produce absolutely fantastical effects, and you can have these amazing kill shots, and you have these gratifying combats where you feel that you've accomplished something afterwards which is no small feat in a game like this. I'm looking more forward, though, to seeing how the character development pairs with that, because even though you get introduced to a overarching story in this right now, the individual character development is still behind. And well, that's that's pretty much where we are. But everything that I'm seeing gives me hope and makes me very excited, that much more excited to see what they produce when this is done.
0: Yeah, I've been enjoying reading about it, but I'm at the point, which is probably where you're at, where I actually don't want to play the early access stuff, because as opposed to a lot of people who can't wait to get into early access, again, we've seen enough early access to know that it can actually turn you off of a game, because shit's mm-hmm. just not finished. It's not It's not meant to be played, let's be honest. Right, you're, exactly. you're yeah. finding bugs. So... I am looking forward enough to this that I'm like now nah, I'm gonna wait. I want to play this when it's out because I backed it. So I'm gonna wait until it's out and play then because shit, man, some of the stuff that they're 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 doing with this is going to be justifiably a
2: crap load of fun. Now, one thing I did see people were bitching about, and I want to just kind of make a comment on that, uh, is that they feel that the play experience is going winding. It, it's happening too quick. Like act what they played of act one progressed too quickly. I get that the target for the game is going to have a 15 hour ish campaign, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but then you have to understand that not only do you have your player character, but there are going to be at least eight major, party members that you can possibly have and then knowing them there's going to be a lot more that you can take on that each have their own stories and goals so then that becomes 9 times 15 hours and so that game expands even further on that point so if you're seeing reviews that are calling out the oh act 1 move too fast which I did see a number of them um, I'm going to say this how do I say this politely? fuck them that it's going to be longer than that based on replayability
1: which is definitely filling what I think was the biggest weakness in the first game and that there are a grand total of 4 NPC companions that have actual characters. The rest are just yeah. faceless hirelings. Yeah. And you're
2: probably going to have the faceless hirelings here too, but oh, yeah, I'm mean, not sure. But the fact that you're going to have at least 8 fully fledged NPCs uh, with and this is also thanks to the Kickstarter too. That we have the Undead and the Dwarf campaign that are gonna be that are, they're not in game yet, but they're going to be added in. They're gonna be fully fleshed out characters with their own story. It, it's going to be a lot bigger than you think it is.
0: Yeah. So
2: looking forward to it. Lastly,
0: I've been playing some crazy Japanese shit. <laughs> <laughs> Did either of you play Did you miss me that much, Raj? <laughs> Yeah, really, I needed it in my life. Uh Zero Time That's Dilemma. Digimon. Yeah, you, I, fucking sushi. I bought that shit. <laughs> God damn it, woman. Oh, it was on sale. And I'm going, well, I haven't really been buying a lot of games. So it's like, yeah, and it was a good sale, too. And I was like, fuck. And then what she was saying about it, too, was like, damn, that sounds interesting. So i like, fuck, fine. So I bought the damn thing. But that's not what I, I, I bought it, but I haven't had a chance to play it yet. But, uh, but I do have it. But no, um, did either of you play Zero Time Dilemma because that was out on 3DS a while back. I believe we talked about it a few episodes back. Well, not a few, but a no, ways than back, yeah. But it came on a PC, so I actually got it and I was playing through it. And it immediately made me think of, of her story in terms of playing through different scenes, not necessarily in order, to try to figure out what's happening. So you got these nine, I keep wanting to say kids because it's an anime and they all look like fucking kids, but some of them are adults. You got these nine people that are being held in this facility underground, a a bunker, and they're separated into three teams of three. And then it's kind of a blend of, of Saw and, well, basically any anime you've watched kind of thing. (laughs) So because they're like you got to work against the other teams. As people die, you get a code, and once you have six codes, you can unlock the door and escape. So if two teams die or if X amount of people within each team die, then at least the others will be saved and they can escape. And then they put in a whole bunch of weird shit, like they get drugged and pass out and the memories taken away in between different objectives and things like that. And there's a whole bunch of different... Puzzles that you do to figure out different aspects of the story or the the main um, antagonist, well, the only antagonist, he kind of, again, made me think very much of Saw, makes you do weird shit or figure out puzzles or different things. There's aspects of it that are fun and whatnot, despite the obvious groan-worthy anime bullshit that you get here and there. But... The problem was, is that because of the way that the story is presented to you in terms of once you kind of unlock one scene, then it says, oh, these other three scenes of unlocked," but they're not necessarily right after the one that you did. And then you also go in and once you've made a choice, you can go back and make the opposite choice, or if there's more than one, so that you can see each of the outcomes. The problem is, is that, and I'll just come right out and say it was not well designed because on my first playthrough, well, I've I've only been doing the one playthrough, but it's the first that I've done in this game. I was able to, I think it was in the second thing, the scene that I played, figured out what was going on and figured out who the killer is, figure out everything from just that one. And so mm-hmm. it was the game was quote unquote over for me really fast. And so now what I've been doing is going through each of the additional scenes that you get because there are a number of them and I'm still working mainly on one team. I've done a few in the other teams, but mainly still on the one team. And it's like. I've already figured it out. And then each time I I go to the other scenes or whatever and, and play through the different options then I'm further reinforcing. Yeah, that's obviously. And now I know the justifications for it and everything else. Like it should have been done in such a way that those didn't unlock immediately because the only reason to continue with the game now is to see what happened between point. A, when, they've, when you first wake up and point, you know, Z, when you die or everybody else dies kind of thing is, okay, what happened in the middle? And unfortunately, the middle stuff is not always engaging enough and relies a little too heavily on anime bullshit stereotypes where the characters are so outside the norm that it's, it's kind of like, oh, come on. So... I think in that regard, had they unlocked different scenes differently so that you didn't know on your second fucking scene who the killer is and what happened, then I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Some of the puzzles are fucking hard. Dude, (laughs) I had to look at a cheat for one of them going, this is getting ridiculous. What the hell am I missing here? And, of course, I was missing something. And so you got to click specifically right there to see something that's hiding there. But. One of the other puzzles, you find a hidden room, and it's this massive library, and there's shit all over the place. And you got to figure out what's going on. And it was like, it took a while to get through it all because you got to unlock this. It unlocks this. This explains that. There's little figures. you got to figure out what each of the figure actually represents and all of this bullshit. And it was like, holy fuck, it kind of dragged on a little bit. But once you get to the end, it's like, okay, that was cool. That was cool. That was a lot of fun. So more of that, and less revealing immediately. The whys would have been a little bit better. So that's it. I assume you guys have no interest in that.
1: I, I have very much interest, but I just haven't played.
0: Great. Right. All right. Anyways, so that is actually going to wrap up the episode. Thank you for stopping by. You can of course find the show notes at For the Lore. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher as well, and on Twitter at For the Lore or Joe Jay, Vince Is Loaders at J Vincent Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will see you guys next week.
2: Holy shit! He's still alive. <laughs> he's just been domesticated, is all. <laughs> so, made outfit, got it.
0: You know what's funny? There is had you said that about anybody else <laughs> in a relationship <laughs> with anybody other than Allie, I would have kind of went ha, ha, ha. never would happen. In this case,
2: <laughs> right?
0: Kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Totally off base. Not not a chance. Sure.
2: <laughs> it still counts if it's an anime robot made. You know that, right? <laughs> I can just see Allie
0: like, oh, you will wear this. <laughs> we'll see how long you last. <laughs> Two weeks from now, you'll be begging to wear this.
2: No, see, that's the thing. Allie wouldn't be, like, aggressive about it. She'd just be like... Oh, no, Funny, just, but look, it's adorable. And then she'd, you know, do her little like look at him all adorably and like puppy dog eyed, and then he'd just be like, okay. See, notice he's not laughing.
0: The, the, the main he's outfit for men head. is right beside the butler outfit in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Silence speaks volumes. <laughs> I got nothing. Thank you for listening to For The Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie,
2: TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.